Hello and welcome Behind the Marquee, the podcast where we talk about everything that's going on inside and outside the world of art house and independent cinema. My name is Nick Aldrink and I am the programming and media coordinator for the Michigan and State Theater. We are recording in the downtown branch of the Ann Arbor District Library and I'm joined by two guests who also work at the Michigan State Theater. Please tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, my name is Nadim Persico-Shamas and I'm one of the managers at the State Theater. And I am Sarah Erlewine, and I am the marketing manager at the Michigan and State Leaders. Thank you both for being here. So today we are going to be talking about the discrepancy between critical and audience reviews. Um, Sounds so, so dramatic when you say that. <laughs> We're just going to dive. Is a, this is a deep dive. <laughs> so Nick, can I ask why yeah. you wanted to do this subject now? This was actually something that Sarah brought up. Yeah, oh, okay. actually. Um, this what was were your thoughts? Oh, well, this is something that I've been noticing. I mean, I think it's fair to say that there's always a divide between critics and audiences when we're talking about film in general. You know, mm-hmm. uh, look at this summer, look at blockbusters. Very rarely are those critically acclaimed in relationship to how well they do with audiences. And and of course, I think that we should say up front that something doing really well at the box office, making a lot of money, mm-hmm. isn't even necessarily indicative that the audiences really liked it either. It was, mm-hmm. It's more indicative that people were curious and wanted to go out and see it. I think that's true. But I noticed among independent and art house films specifically this year, a much wider gap between the movies that critics were loving and raving about and the movies that our audiences were responding to. Yeah. Really? And I could see... Uh, so in my role, uh, one of the things that I do is I pull together the weekly emails. And on Fridays, I like to go into the reviews that have been published for a movie and kind of pull in some <clears throat> some quotes, some thoughts, things that are, people are saying about the movie. So I, I end up spending a fair amount of time on Rotten Tomatoes to kind of get an overview for what the general consensus is for a film. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started because they've got those big numbers there where you can see a percentage for critics versus percentage for the audience. And I noticed that there were just bigger and bigger gaps. Mm-hmm. And the movie that really made me notice that was The Souvenir, mm-hmm. which okay. oh, you guys yeah. showed at the state. Yeah, this we year. showed yeah. it at the state. It was it was pretty well liked, I think. Yeah, that was an audience. That, that, that was an award winner from Sundance. Mm. It was a film that we had uh, come back from Sundance, all really enjoying, uh, particularly Mackenzie. Uh, yeah. It was. I think it was. I think she said it, it was her favorite movie at Sundance. She did. Yeah. But it uh, it did not. Uh, what what what, what are the percent? What was the the ratings? Yeah. That? So it was. It received a ninety percent critic score mm-hmm. and a thirty three percent audience yeah, score. Yeah, I believe that. I think we only had it for a couple weeks. We did because yeah. it did not get huge yeah. audiences at all. And the people who did see it, we ended up getting complaints. People walked out <laughs> to some extent. Yeah. Um, and so. That was particularly interesting to me that, I mean, Souvenir was one of those movies out of Sundance, which is Mm -hmm. one of those things that we look at to kind Mm -hmm. of give a sense of what are going to be the big independent movies for this year. Right. You kind of see what people are talking about. Souvenir was definitely one of them. You know, it had Tilda Swinton, had Honor Swinton Byrne, her daughter. 
who was getting huge notes for being a great breakout mm-hmm. actress. And then, like like you said, Mackenzie, people whose opinions we generally trust, mm-hmm. people who know movies, who mm-hmm. watch movies, who love movies. I, I sometimes tease Mackenzie, mm-hmm. and if she listens to this, I'm sure she'll know that I would tease <laughs> it. Like, Mackenzie likes everything, but mm-hmm. she, I mean, she loves things. Mm-hmm. And she felt so passionately about this movie. And then audiences reacted so differently. Mm-hmm. And so it made me want to start looking into this in more depth. Like, mm-hmm. well, is this really a trend or is this something that just because I'm paying attention now? Could you give right. us some more examples? Is sure. That, is that Actually, yes, I do. I have, <laughs> Sarah I, has a chart. I have a chart in front of me. So uh, that's probably the most significant difference. Uh, yeah. But other movies that we've shown that had mm-hmm. major, major differences, uh, Her Smell. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Her Smell was Elizabeth Moss. As a punk rock singer. Yeah, she was kind of like a Courtney Love type character. Right. Yeah, a very, uh, uh, some type of punk rock singer who uh, had this damaging personal life. Right, was, uh, not not a yeah. great person, great musician. She has to deal with her personal life. Yeah. So 83% of critics loved that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 47% for the audience gave it a positive. Mm-hmm. And as a sample of what people were saying, Mick LaSalle from the San Francisco Chronicle said, Moss is endlessly fascinating, basking in the liberating comfort of surrendered glamour. She inhabits every cranny and crevice of the character's despairing, terrified, burnt-out, blasted self. That's, <laughs> that's pretty intense. And the audience, Steve L. says, while I'm hesitant to say it outright stinks, her <laughs> smell is fairly pungent. And may cause some allergic reactions. Oh wow! Wow! That's, see, that's he went in. He went all in on, <laughs> on that title. I mean, and and I do remember we talked about this when we played it that mm-hmm. we expected better audience turnout for it because Elizabeth Moss with um, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting her. Tale. Thank you. I'm forgetting her TV show right now. Uh, and also uh, Mad Men. People yeah. people love her. She's mm-hmm. great. She's a fantastic actress. This is a really great character piece. But nobody came to see this. And do you remember what the audience yeah. response was? Largely the same. I remember Tyler, our friend Tyler, raving about it. But yeah. that's about it. Yeah. You know, it, it was like the souvenir. It was one of those movies that people who saw, I think, generally liked, but not met very many people saw it. Mm-hmm. So how how between the three of us? Well, I guess I want to ask how each of you. How do you, where do you feel you stand when, when, when you look at a movie and you see the critic and audience reviews? Where do you usually stand? How do you, how do you feel you usually oh, stand? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, I would say I probably lean slightly toward the critic. I, I think I'm the same way. I think I, I probably lean stronger to the critic than I like to admit, honestly. Right. <laughs> I think so. I, yeah, I, I, I agree. But uh, not to say that, I, I mean, I, we, we have a lot, I listed a lot of movies with critic and audience reviews, and there are some that I agree with the audience more, and sometimes mm-hmm. I, I agree with the critics right. more. So I do finally, I, I mean, I think we're all, we're all probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Right. I, th- I mean, I think it's important to note that we all work for an art house theater. Yeah. And we've been watching <laughs> art house films right. for years Absolutely. and years and years. <laughs> Right. Nick and I went to the University of Michigan to study film. Yeah. Sarah, did you have any film education before this? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I've taken classes. So I'm yeah. sure our opinions are slightly skewed towards critics because we all use the same language to 
try mm-hmm. to understand film. Right. So I'd, I'd actually be interested to hear what are some films that we've shown that audiences preferred over critics. Sure, and I have one. Biggest Little Farm. Audiences loved it. Critics Audience, didn't? No, they didn't. And critics didn't even hate it. No. But the audience loved it. I mean, actually, mm. it was fairly evenly matched, but it was an audience uh, preferred. I so. can That one makes sense to me. because I, I remember even thinking that when I saw it at Sundance, I saw it with Russ at Sundance. And we both kind of had this agreement that um, it's a little... I'm trying to uh, schlocky isn't the best word. What, what word am I thinking of? It's a little schmaltzy. Schmaltzy, yeah. yeah. With, yeah. And and I think we're saying this Saccharin. as people who yeah. who loved this movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I loved this movie. So did I. But one of the the critics said called it a, a commercial more yeah. than a documentary, <laughs> a commercial for small scale farming. Mm-hmm. And okay. I think that that's fair. You come away with it thinking like this is a great way of life. We should absolutely have more of yeah. this. Another one that we played. Uh, Life Itself. Do you remember Life Itself? That was the, oh, yes. the Oscar Isaac, oh, Olivia yeah. Wilde. I remember that one. The critics disparaged that That, thing. that, that one had 33 or th- uh, 13% approval by critics, 78% approval hmm. by audiences. <laughs> and is there like a particular reason why? Was it like the stars? Was it the acting? I think was it, it was also kind of a schmaltzy film. I okay. honestly didn't see it. I, I did uh, the, the the director, uh, his uh, now. Uh, I wrote down a Fogelman. I don't remember his, his first name. I only wrote down Fogelman. Well, it's the but, people who did. Uh, oh my god, I'm uh, like on TV shows again. <laughs> this is us. This is us. Thank you. Yeah, uh, so it's he, that crew made he, this. He, he he had this quote. Uh, he, uh, he said he had a wildly different creative palette than the cynical film critic, um, and he hoped the film would be warmly received by moviegoers. And he and it was true. And it was and true. It was. So. I also looked up what the best grossing independent films for the past year so far have mm-hmm. been. And number one is a movie we didn't show. And I was actually surprised counted as an independent because it seemed to me a bigger budget, bigger mm. marketed film was The Upside, which the upside. was Brian was Cranston and Kevin Hart. Oh, oh. Was that independent? Apparently it counts as It had a huge in, ad campaign. Right? Yeah. That, uh, I was surprised, but if you looked up, it was IndieWire's top grossing independent <laughs> wow. films. I mm-hmm. would figure IndieWire would know, um, but I can't, unfortunately, didn't write down mm-hmm. what the distributor was. That's but, funny. The Upside is a, a remake of this French movie from, right. what, a decade ago called I think the Untouchables. Yep. Is it yeah. really? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't. I didn't knew nothing I, I about this movie. I didn't either until I was researching it for this. Um, but again, it seems to me that this was another schmaltzy yeah, kind very much. of I saw. I thing. didn't see this one, but I saw the French one. Well, so so, so I do have a couple quotes from Rotten Tomatoes about <laughs> this one as well. So our our critic at the Sydney Morning Herald says. As the paint-by-numbers plot progresses over two very long hours, the treacle <laughs> thickens and it becomes clear that each of them is slowly going to learn from and be yeah. redeemed by the others. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Philip P., our audience representative, mm-hmm. says, charming is the key word here. <laughs> yeah. You will be charmed. Yeah. The upside is charming. Yeah. Charmed in the sense not that the upside will put you under a spell necessarily, but more in the sense of it being a pure pleasure. A delight, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. Yeah. Like, people like us, people like critics, we've seen so many movies that we know what's going to happen. We, we know, know the it's tropes. a remake we know of the a outlines. French movie. We know it's a remake <laughs> of a French movie. So I think we, what we are looking for in these kinds of movies is how directors and artists play around with the tropes right. and mm-hmm. subvert them. 
and maybe the general audience isn't as used to the tropes as we are, and so they're less surprised by them and they're able to or fall under their spell I more I think easily. another argument is that they want the tropes to be exactly how they know they're going to be, mm-hmm. that they can mm-hmm. go in and feel those emotional beats exactly as they've planned to feel them, and they know where they're going to end up, and a movie that takes them on a twist and turn doesn't necessarily feel as good. Mm-hmm. Right. I, th- I, I think in general, audiences don't like to be tricked. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially when it comes to marketing, because I think, I think the, the marketing mm-hmm. campaigns for a lot of these independent films play a huge role in how and how yeah. audiences are going to think about it. That's a very good point. Like when you look at films like Drive, Drive mm-hmm. had this really famous marketing campaign. Yeah, I where was they, I was fooled by it. The, where they promoted it as this action heist thriller, mm-hmm. right? And then what audiences starring Ryan Gosling, smoking yeah. hot Ryan Gosling. Everyone's like, great, Fast and the Furious yeah. with Ryan Gosling. <laughs> and then I'm in. They got it, and they they got they get to the movie, and they realize that you know this is this movie is Ryan. Gosling staring at things. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and they also loved that too. And no. then I, 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 I didn't actually. I, I recall uh, there actually being attempted lawsuits at the production company really? for, for for fooling audiences about this movie. Interesting. I mean, there's also um, as I was doing my own research on this, I came to find that it comes at night. Being mm-hmm. uh, another uh, mm-hmm. film yeah. with a famous, I remember famous this one being particularly controversial. Being yeah, another one, film with a, a famously bad marketing, where it was the, the people showed up thinking it's like it's some type of zombie thriller, right? But then it was Joel Edgar, is Joel Ed, Ed, Ed is Edgerton, what's his name? Edgerton or Edgerton? I think it's Edgerton. I've only ever read it. I yeah, I, same. I it pronounced. But we're gonna we're but gonna jump all in on Edgerton. Though. Edgerton, yeah. I, I apologize, Joel, if that is wrong. <laughs> Where it's uh, it seemed like the movie was about Joel Edgerton staring at things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, critics like people staring at things. <laughs> I think is really what we're yeah. learning I, in I this think, conversation. I think what we're dancing around here is that audiences generally they they focus more on tone, <laughs> where critics tend to focus on performance. I also think the other thing that we are skipping around is because like I, I, we came into this conversation because I said I I felt like there was a wider gap now than before. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can't acknowledge that with the state of things being what they are and a, and a fair amount of upheaval in our day-to-day lives and our politics and in everything around us, the audiences don't want a movie that's going to make them feel that upheaval. They want a movie that's going to make them feel good so Mm -hmm. they can escape from it for Mm -hmm. a little bit. That will go exactly the way they think it's going to go. Exactly the way I think it's going to go. This is going to pay off the way that I wanted it to. And that's going to make me feel good about something. Uh, Yeah. It's like for, for film critics or for people that watch a lot of movies, you know, it's almost be it's 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 essentially like a drug. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like the, the, when you're when you're inject when you're just taking in so much content, you need something stronger in order to feel anything at all. Mm-hmm. Really, I know. That's I think it's actually like, a really you're, good you're point. Actually, you're always looking for something that that touches you like deeper inside, and that's why I think critics like the souvenir. Where like I actually feel something watching this sure. movie. Right. This was surprising to me. Yeah. Um, but I also think another point, and uh, so this is, we're going to talk briefly now about a movie called First Reformed, which yes. didn't come out this year. It came out last year. Mm-hmm. And it's Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader. Who did Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. And one could argue it is Taxi Driver in a church. Yes. 
Um, did you see First Reformed? Yeah, I love First yeah. Reformed. Yeah, so most critics did. Yeah. yeah. Audiences, sure. however, felt more nebulous about it. Um, did you actually, do you have the, oh yeah, so 98% critics mm-hmm. and 75% audience. That's not terrible. It's not terrible. Um, and that's and that's one of the key points. So I came across an article called First Reformed and the Growing Divide Between Critics and Audiences oh, from cool. a website called WeMinoredInFilm.com. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we all understand where these people are coming from. Um, and so they called it one of the 10 most divisive films of last year based on Business Insider's uh, they did a measurement, apparently, that compared the critics and the audience reviews. Mm-hmm. And this was in the top 10 list. And and she said, I'm assuming it's a she. I don't know why, but I'm going to go with that. <laughs> and uh, and the quote that I'm going to read here from, from this is, it's not even as if audiences exactly hate First Reformed. They gave it a 75%. It's more that the critical love is so euphoric, it can't be matched by the non-film nerds of the world who might appreciate but also not totally get the big deal about seeing Ethan Hawke play a priest who turns into Travis Bickle. (laughs) And what that means is First Reform needs far more help from critics, bloggers, and cinephiles than something like Ocean's 8. Yet at the same time, in our zeal to convince others to see this movie through sheer overwhelming enthusiasm, we are creating a feedback loop. That... Noise is loud enough to convert some, but also repels or simply confuses others. That's why, including First Reformed, three of the ten best-reviewed films of this year have also been met with far more muted reactions from actual moviegoers. Hmm. I think there's also a lot of differences between a movie like First Reformed and a movie like Ocean's 8. First Reformed is a movie driven almost entirely by dialogue. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And something like Ocean's 8 is more dynamically edited. There's more dynamism on screen. There's more motion. Oh, absolutely. No, you're, you're absolutely right. We're comparing very different films yeah, here. Yeah. But and I think the point is that these small movies like First Reformed, <clears throat> to some extent, critics feel a burden to try to get these yeah. films that they love in front of audiences. And in doing so, maybe they go too far yeah, and that yeah. backlash is what gets that muted reaction. Yeah, yeah. For 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 smaller independent films such as we show, if a if a film isn't getting good reviews, it's not going to be seen at all. Right. Yeah. It's not like it what or it chapter two what we're playing now. Uh, I mean, whether it gets good re- good or bad reviews, people are going to go see it. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And because it you know it, it has money behind it, where we're like first reformed. If it didn't get good reviews. Who who was going to see it? Who was going to care at all? Right. Yeah. Well, similarly, yeah. So this weekend we're opening it, chapter two, like mm-hmm. you said, and we're also opening Fiddler Miracle of Miracles, yeah. which is about <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof, which is one of the, like, it was for a period of time the longest running musical, and it continues to be a musical that is performed more often globally than any other musical, and in the movie they even say that it is performed. Every day, somewhere, mm. somewhere in the world, somebody is performing Fiddler on the Roof, <laughs> uh, and and that's fascinating because it's such a specific story about Russian Jews and the turn of the century and being evicted from the homeland and the traditions like Jewish traditional culture, and yet it's so universal that everybody responds to it. Mm-hmm. And how many people are going to go see that movie? 
when they see Fiddler Miracle of Miracles. It's probably <laughs> a very inter- it's a very interesting story, yeah. but it's going to need a lot of legwork yeah. to get people to buy into that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, uh, even if a movie is objectively good or bad, what we we've you you mentioned the 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 politics of today are so much strongly ingrained in how people react to movies today. I mean, there, there's movies like um, The Promise. The Promise came out a couple years ago. This was a Christian Bale, Oscar Isaac film uh, about the Armenian genocide, <laughs> and oh, it, it yes. had ninety. I think that's right. Yeah, 50% by critics and 92% by audience. But this movie famously was uh, tanked by Armenian genocide deniers who flooded Rotten Tomatoes trying to take the film down. And then there's, you know, uh, the people like Last Jedi. Last Jedi, 90% approval by critics, 44% by audience. Uh, and this was that movie was famous for the the Star Wars fanboy outcry mm-hmm. about you know Ryan Johnson taking sure. the film in a direction they want for films like with. that. It's hard to trust the audience score because there's such a vocal minority of yeah. people who so strongly dislike the movie that they are willing to make a bunch of fake accounts on a yeah. website right. in order to get like before the movie bomb. has even been released. So I think for movies like that, it's it's probably a mistake to put any stock in that audience, right? Score. But then, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, just uh, last week, Dave Chappelle released a new stand-up special. Mm-hmm. Have you heard anything about this? Yeah, and, I heard yeah. something in passing. Yeah, it's Dave, it was called Dave Chappelle Sticks and Stones, 30% approval by critics, 99% approval by audiences. And this is a film that's getting, uh, or, uh, it's, it's, it's a stand-up special that's getting a lot of press for how unapologetic he is in his content. Mm-hmm. He... he I think he, there, he, he, I haven't actually seen it, so I can't really speak to it, but I've read that he, they, I mean, he has jokes about uh, LGBT issues. Mm-hmm. He has jokes about the Michael Jackson controversies, about, you know, he's, he comes to the stage wanting to shock you. So, of course, uh, when you get to a film like that, you have to remember that whether uh, when when critics come to review something like that it is at the end of the day it is their job <laughs> to, yeah. to we, we we have to remember that 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 it's it's uh critics have a lot more to to gain and lose uh when they write reviews than anyone who comes like say that they they saw Dave Chappelle's special like yeah it was offensive but I enjoyed it and I have nothing to lose by telling people that I enjoyed it where critics, uh, you know, someone from like, say, the Washington Post comes and says, I like Dave Chappelle's special. There's going to be a lot of probably a lot of backlash for anyone who anyone who publishes a positive review for that type of film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't have anything else. To no, add to I, I, but I, I mean, I think that that's a good point. Um, yeah, I. I wish that I had something witty to say about it. I do yeah. think that that's a, a thing that people have to consider. Mm-hmm. And it's just the nature of the internet, really, where uh, we're in a time where people can just like, I liked it, and then leave it at that without right. put up putting any and explanation. That's and that's into the it. last time they think about it. Yeah, too. right. There's uh, there's just so much to watch these days that you know a stand up special by one of the biggest comedians 
of the past decade. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like three decades now, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a drop in the bucket. It's yeah. meaningless. There's, we're just going to move on to the next thing tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if there are, if there's a point where reviewing a piece of media just doesn't make sense anymore. Right. I mean, fil- all films are made by people who care, presumably, because, uh, you know, they, they want to do a good job or they want to make enough money to feed their family. Mm-hmm. Whatever their reason, they put enough care and attention into their work to make their part good. But whether the product as a whole is actually meaningful to the culture is something that I think is becoming harder and harder to say. Like, like I think the top grossing movie of the year is still Avengers Endgame, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So that's like the biggest movie of all time. Yeah, it, it's not only of the year, yeah. of all time. It beat, yeah, it just beat Avatar, it's yeah. It's this massive, massive spectacle, three hours. And obviously a ton of care and attention went into it. Visual effects artists, Absolutely. the actors, the writers clearly care, the directors clearly care. But it is such a huge product that has such a gigantic meaning in American culture that so much money depends on it that it kind of feels like, to me at least, I I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it after I saw it and I thought like, okay, I'm going to give this a lot of critical attention. And now I feel like maybe I just wasted my time because what is the point (laughs) of engaging? Like what my opinion doesn't matter. No one's opinion really matters when... The product yeah. is that big. Agreed. And that yeah. meaningful. Nadim's going to stand on a pedestal and take yeah. Avengers yeah. down. Yeah, it's, right. like, it's, like like it's like trying to take down the Great Wall of China right. with like a toothpick. Right. Yeah. It's nothing. It doesn't. Yeah. So. No, I think that's a really great point about media like that. But I think we're, we're talking about as a space of media that's much smaller than yes, that. Yes, yes. The, the it, total opposite end of the spectrum. Right. Where critical attention is still a very essential part of getting that art seen mm-hmm. and heard by audiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I mean, critics, for one thing, I, I know and love many critics. And they know and love the media that they review. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming you guys have all seen Almost Famous. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that to me was the most significant thing about that movie was sort of that it was kind of a battle for who loved music more, yeah. the musicians or the critics. Yeah, sure. In, yeah. in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's true in a lot of cases still, you know, for movie critics, I, it, they love movies. That's why they want to spend all their time mm-hmm. watching them and talking about them. And and again, to, to your point that there's so much product right now that every, you know, yes, Dave Chappelle's special is a drop in the bucket. So is First Reformed. Yeah. So is The Favorite. So is Booksmart, which we haven't even talked about yet, right. which is another huge uh, divide between audiences mm-hmm. and critics. So if you have this product out there, that you feel strongly about or that you don't feel strongly about, and, but you, you want to go see a movie, how do you decide if not by seeing what people are saying about it? Mm-hmm. You know, I, and so to that end, I think critical attention and dialogue is still a very essential part of the movie-going experience, mm-hmm. but it's not foolproof. No, it is still something that 
whether I take much stock in it or not, it is something I always check before I see a movie. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, it, like maybe if maybe if I'm uh, in the middle, like maybe like I'm not sure if, if I how much I really want to see this. If I'm in the middle on something and I check the Rotten Tomato score, if it's positive, I'm probably going to go see it. If it's negative, number, I'm probably not going to go see it. Honestly, do you, do you look but, at the critic number? Or do you look at the audience number? Or do you look at both? I look at both. Um, I only ever look at the critic number. Well, the critic number does stand out more on it the website. It definitely does. Yeah, yeah. And, I think and, and that's what makes something certified fresh. Yes, and you can pull data from them very easily based on what's highest rated by critics. Mm-hmm. But you cannot easily pull what's highest rated by audiences. I've yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's a consequence of my like growing up on the internet and growing up on so many internet forums and reading the kinds of people who would want to make an account on a website <laughs> to talk about mm-hmm. a specific product that I've. I'm sure I'm I'm probably wrong now, but I think my bias is just so strong that I I feel like I can't trust what people say on the internet about something right. unless unless they've like taken the time to like you know like I I can already hear myself like uh, eating my own words, but like taking the time to revise their opinions and like go through yeah. an editor and go through a publication and there's there's a lot wrong with that sort of process but at least there's some thought put into it rather than just like spending five seconds clack 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 on the keyboard hit post you mean like this review of Booksmart that I, I was just I was, gonna, I, was, I, was, I was gonna I was I was gonna ask you to read that quote because that is the thing if 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 I do see that you know something is off or that maybe I, I want to know why is it getting low scores yeah. and then yeah read read this quote Alex T says this is the worst movie I think I've ever seen in my life. Why does this have 97% on Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. But Spaceballs only has 59%. Right. So that's like, that's an opinion that you is can't. going to resonate with exactly one person. Mm-hmm. Well, like, somebody no, might be like, yeah, no, that's yeah. right. Spaceballs is great and fair. But I don't know. What does that have to do with Booksmart? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's, there's nothing, there's no substance in that no. review. Yeah. All you're going is like, what? <laughs> and yet that is what brought... Booksmart's audience score down exactly. to 77%. And that's yeah. why I feel like I can't trust audience scores mm-hmm. because it's it's mostly just people going like, this movie sucks, <laughs> the end, period. There's no like, right. there's no opinion. There's no why did this movie suck? It's just like their gut reaction. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, b- before we start uh, getting into our movie, wrapping this up and getting into our movie magic moments, I want to ask you, uh, what is a movie that you enjoy that no one else seems to like that that, that you've come across that you what's the movie that you were going to stand up for mm. I got one yeah uh it's called uh the babysitter <laughs> it's on it's on Netflix is have, have I've read either of you seen it I don't is think that so. the Jonah Hill movie no no it's, okay it, I think Jonah that one's just called the sitter or something maybe. like that he was I in think like you're something making things up the babysitter came out I think Two years? No, maybe it was last year. It's directed by Mick G. Oh, okay. The illustrious director Mick G. <laughs> yes. It stars Samara Weaving, uh, uh, who recently starred in the movie Ready or Not. Gotcha. Which has gotten a b- pretty big marketing push. But I think this was like her breakout role. But anyway, it's a, it's like a Netflix original movie, right? So that's like their you know equivalent of direct-to-DVD <laughs> right. kind of movie. Uh, and it's about a young boy who has a really strong relationship with his babysitter. And then one night his babysitter brings over like a bunch of her friends. And then it turns out that she is part of like a satanic cult. 
<laughs> yeah, and it goes, and it's like, it's such a silly movie for so much of its running time. It's like mm -hmm. clearly a very silly movie that knows it's very silly and it's like a horror movie and it's very fun to watch. But what really struck me and what really uh, made me remember it and what makes me defend it right now is that it has such a really beautiful emotional core, which is the relationship between the young boy and his babysitter mm -hmm. and like how that relationship is tested by this clearly ludicrous situation, but it keeps coming back to this really <laughs> like true and honest love right. for each other. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it really struck me so hard because I wasn't expecting that when I went into the movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I'm and, sorry. and I think that's what makes me life like it a lot, but I don't think anyone else I've spoken to <laughs> likes it at all. I my mine is uh, very similar for for really the same reasons, and mm. I have to stop. I ha I should probably stop sticking up for this movie because I haven't seen it in probably ten years. Oh, mm. no. But it's always my go-to answer of like if someone asks, "What's your guilty pleasure?" Yeah, and it's. The Ghost of Girlfriend's Past. What? <laughs> what is that? Ooh, that this is a great. Matthew McConaughey movie. Go on. Uh, probably late 2000s. And it's really, it's a, it's a telling of A Christmas Carol. But Matthew McConaughey is visited yeah. by uh, the ghosts of the, previous yeah. ex-girlfriends. It writes itself. It does. That's beautiful. I'd... I'm I done. And I remember this movie being so much darker than I was expecting it to. <laughs> and again, it has it really has this emotional core where it gets to the bottom of this guy who who has run through girlfriends his whole life and been, you know, uh, I think I think they're at the the, the, perp, the point is they're at this house and I think one of his best friends is getting married. And I think he, he somehow ends up ruining the marriage somehow. He, like, lets information go that shouldn't be let go. Let go. And then the bride gets all, uh, gets all mad. And they, the, you think that the wedding the wedding's off. And then that night, oh. Matthew McConaughey is visited by the ghost of girlfriend's past. Excellent. One, the first one is Emma Stone. It was, like right, it was, like, right off of Superbad. So it was before Emma Stone became what we know of Emma right. Stone today. She was just the wacky supporting character. But again, it had this emotional core to it where you learn about what has gone on in this guy's life. And I think his parents have died and he's really became like this orphan at a young age. And like, this is really dark. This is not what I was expecting this movie to be. Uh, and again, like I said, I haven't seen this movie in a long, long time, but yet it has somehow resonated with me since that time. <laughs> Interesting. I, I need to rewatch it. it to my watch list on Letterboxd. I need, yeah, I need to rewatch it, honestly. So I was going to go sincere here um, because the, <laughs> whenever I think of this question, I think of the assassination of Jesse James oh, by the yeah. coward Robert Ford. Because when I watched that movie, nobody else I watched it with liked that movie. Mm. Um, but I think we've talked about it. Uh, you Briefly. like it too, I liked right? it too, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was like very strongly received by critics. Yeah, so that's why I was like, maybe this isn't the right answer. But it really was just because in my, the moment when I was watching it, nobody else I was with liked it. And mm. it was such a strong moment for me because I have ADD and I have a ten I have a really hard time just sitting and watching a movie mm -hmm. and usually I'm doing something else like I'm on my phone or I think at that time I probably didn't have a phone so maybe I was on a laptop or mm -hmm. something like that um, and that movie drew me in so much that I put down whatever I was doing and I watched that movie and it's mm -hmm. not a short movie it is long and <laughs> slow <laughs> yeah and and it was just so shocking to me that I was drawn in as much as I was so uh, but I don't think that that's accurate for this type of conversation. I think a better answer is either Holiday in Handcuffs, 
<laughs> or thanks killing. <laughs> I love thanks killing so much. I really, you know, I don't even, there's, there is a scene where a serial killer turkey dresses up <laughs> as a, a woman's father and she believes it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's yeah. so extraordinary in that moment that uh, it gave me so much joy. Yeah. Uh, just to, that somebody <laughs> came up with this idea and they were like, yes, yes, let's go with this. Yeah. Um, and then Holiday in Handcuffs, if you're not familiar, is a ABC Family Christmas mm-hmm. special starring Melissa Joan Hart and Mario Lopez. <laughs> and it is, uh, in this, Melissa Joan Hart is a woman with a, dead-end job who has an overbearing family and she's supposed to bring her boyfriend home for the holidays and he breaks up with her and so she kidnaps (laughs) Mario Lopez and brings him home instead and I'm going to spoil it for you they do fall in love and any movie that can take that concept and get me to the end and be like you know what I totally am rooting for these (laughs) two they're great (laughs) those wacky kids I uh, I watch it every holiday season Exactly. Sounds like a lot of fun. I, have I to think, check it out. I yeah. think like all the movies we talked about really underscores an important point, which is that uh, at the end of the day, it's not up to the critics. It's not up to the audiences. It's really just up to you. Yeah. Agreed. Like mm-hmm. your taste in art is such a subjective thing that mm-hmm. no matter what critics say, no matter what your friends say, if you like a movie, if you're going to If it gives like you it. joy, yeah. then Godspeed. Exactly. Enjoy that. <laughs> but yeah. everybody who disliked Booksmart is wrong. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I agree. Um, well, okay. Wow, this has been, been a, a lot longer episode than I was expecting. Let's get into our uh, movie magic moments of the week. This is uh, when we talk about something that we've seen recently, that we enjoyed, that we can recommend to you. Uh, and something, as we say, reminded us why we love movies or television. Could be either. Just something that you've seen recently. Uh, who wants to start? Nadim? Yeah, I just watched uh, a movie called Parasite by oh. Jun Ho. How'd you see it? Well, I have no Shh. comment. Okay. Um, <laughs> Look the other way. It's a. Uh, I think. I think it's. Uh, I think we'll we'll probably be getting yeah. it soon. It's yeah. it's uh, about a. It's a Korean movie. Yes. Bong Joon Ho is one of Korea's most notable directors. He did the host a few. I think it was like ten years ago. Yeah. And um, so this one is about a Korean family. Okay, I, I, I really don't want to say too much about it, but it's about a Korean family that's very poor. And it's about a, another family that is very, very wealthy. And the movie is about how they get to know each other and how their lives start to come together more and more frequently. And it's, I, I strongly recommend that you don't look up anything at all about this movie and just go in completely mm-hmm. blind. And you'll come away with a message that is so hard to take any other way about the relationship between the poor and the rich in Korea and probably all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's visually striking. Um, there are every single performance is amazing there are a couple standout scenes one of which involves a birthday cake and another of which involves a very metaphorical rock 
that I hope you'll look out for. Uh, again, it's called Parasite, Parasite. by Bong Joon-ho. I strongly recommend it. Yes. Pro- yeah, most likely coming to the Michigan or State Theater sometime very soon. Yes. Yeah. Sarah. Yeah, so uh, when I was a child, the movie The Dark Crystal came out, and I was terrified. And I don't know that I've ever managed to see The Dark Crystal movie all the way through because Mm -hmm. those Skeksis are the worst thing (laughs) that I've ever seen in my life. And the Gelflings are not much better. Now, the new Netflix series, The Dark Crystal, The Age of Resistance, has come out. And you guys, I love it. Okay. It's really, really good. Have you checked it out yet? I've, I've heard it's amazing. Yeah. No. I, I saw The Dark Crystal like you years and years ago, and I don't think I watched it all the way through. I don't think I was scared. I think I like was with friends or something, and we were doing something else. Oh, but I remember sure, yeah. being like very enchanted by the world. Yeah. I mean, it is really extraordinary yeah. world building. Although, you know, I have to say the opening episode feels a little Lord of the Rings. But <laughs> it, you get into it and it feels very cool. different. But I thought the, it was a movie. It's a series? It's a series. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a full series. And, um, and the voiceover work in it is so great because it's all people you know, but you cannot recognize their voices really. That's great. Like, mm-hmm. it, it kind of like there's a little bit that kind of hits you and you're like, I, I know that voice, but you can't put it together. And, and it features, um, so like I know Nick and I have talked about Mark Hamill, mm-hmm. of course, is in it. He's great, but we're not surprised that he can do really great voiceover yeah. work. But Simon Pegg plays the Chamberlain, who is one of the main characters from the original movie. Mm -hmm. And you guys, he is killing it. (laughs) He is so good. Uh, And uh, Taron Edgerton's in it. uh, Alicia Vigander. So, um, oh God, so many people. Edgerton or Edgerton? Well, see, we're now we're back. I think he's Edgerton because he does not have a D. No, he does. Just E G E R T O N. So I'm I'm (laughs) feeling fairly confident about that one. Yeah. Uh, and he can write us a mean email if we're <laughs> wrong. Uh, but really, I mean, I'm only a few episodes in, but it's really pretty extraordinary. So I um, I would recommend it. And I can say for sure, even if you haven't seen the, the movie, it's a prequel. So um, oh, it kind of brings you in early and, and helps set up that world for you really nicely. Beautiful. Um, mine... I recently watched a film that we're going to be playing as part of our, what we're calling Doctoberfest, coming Woo-hoo! to the State Theater in October. Great name. And it's a, it's a documentary called John, John McEnroe in the, in the Realm of Perfection. It's playing at the State on October 16th as a part of the series. And this actually, this is a perfect movie magic moment for this general conversation because uh, this film is very, very French. <laughs> I'll describe it that way. It is not, <clears throat> you might walk into this thinking it's like your your typical sports, you know, ESPN 30, 30 for 30 documentary. It's not that. It is really, it's essentially a film essay about John McEnroe at the 1984 French Open. Uh, and it is a film that it really just like focuses so deeply on John McEnroe really as it kind of likens him as an as an artist on on the court. He's a he's a he's a perfectionist and he's someone who just doesn't think that anyone understands him. Which is you know, John McEnroe has this uh, had this uh, reputation as being very angry and very uh, 
very aggressive on the court. And it really, and he's someone who wants people to appreciate and understand him, uh, but also does not really want to be watched at the same time. <laughs> it really it, it ex- examines uh, a person who, uh, how, how a person changes when they realize that they are being filmed. Hmm. Uh, and uh, he is, yeah, like I said, he's somebody who, um, he want he wants to show you he wants to show you how 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 he's perfected the sport this is at the top of his career and yet he's getting he he's he's telling a cameraman he's going to bash his face in with the tennis racket it's he's such a complex human being and i i, I watched when i was watching this film i likened it to something that we showed at Cinetopia a couple of years called Rat Film. It is a very which was not a comparison I expected. No, to hear exactly. At all. Like, if you've seen Rat Film, that's really surprising. I, I, I say in the realm of perfection is more focused and honed than Rat Film was. Rat Film was really about a lot of different things. This is really about one person, but it has this meditative quality to it, where you're you're watching it. And it's so quiet, and the yeah, I would say like the music is very monotonous. It has this really weird electric score for a sports movie, and you just it's hypnotizing almost. You just lock into it, lock right into this thing. So, yeah, I, I I like I said, it's very appropriate for this for this episode because I, I expect that people are going to walk out of it and not are not really going to be sure what to think about it. <laughs> it's something that come to that critics are critics love in audiences. It's it's This isn't what I expected. It wasn't yeah. what I expected, <laughs> right. which is why it's in the series. So the series we ex- we're playing four different documentaries and we're going to it's they're really documentaries that are going to engage discussion afterwards. Cool. Yeah, I'm so. really excited about this series. Have you seen this lineup yeah. yet? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, it looks so amazing. so for everybody else, uh, we're going to start with Brewmaster. Brewmaster. Looking behind craft beers and that's the first Wednesday of October then we've got John McEnroe Mm -hmm. then we've got a film that I saw at Cleveland actually Cleveland Film Festival not this year last year I called a murder in Mansfield and this is Barbara Koppel who is just a fantastic documentary filmmaker uh, Academy Award winner Mm -hmm. Harlan County USA and this is the true story of a boy who uh, testified against his father for the murder of his mother. His father got put away, and he comes back to Ohio to confront his dad mm-hmm. in prison. So, um, and it's it's really uh, when we saw it, both Barbara Koppel and Collier uh, were there mm-hmm. to talk about the film, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, and since it was Cleveland, it was Ohio, and mm-hmm. so there were residents, people who knew him, knew his family, who were there. It was a really extraordinary experience. Mm-hmm. And then we're gonna finish it up with one that looks just amazing. It's called Memory, and it is about the making of Alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, the film is called Memory, Origins of Alien. And it's uh, it not only gets into the creation of Alien, but also it really delves into the history of horror and science fiction as well. Uh, so even if you haven't seen Alien, uh, you're going to, well, yeah, you, it, it, this is fine for you to watch, but you're going to want to watch Alien after you <laughs> see this documentary as well. It's really interesting. Uh, so, yeah, Oktoberfest. That's really cool. Yeah, and we're doing something special with this film yeah. series that we haven't done before where you can buy tickets to all four films and get a discount. Mm-hmm. And then you'll get a coupon for 50% off popcorn at Whoa. each of the screenings. <laughs> so, it's uh, so yeah, get to your Oktoberfest pa- packages today. <laughs> 
Uh, thank you both for being here for this for this episode. I really like this discussion. Uh, thank you to everyone who who has been listening. Uh, we'll be back in your. We're gonna start doing these about once a month now. Uh, so we'll be back in your feed and probably uh, the beginning of October. Uh, we'll have lots more to talk about in that time. Um, check uh, check out the Ann Arbor District Library's website aadl.org. You can check out uh, every everything that we've talked about here. Uh, thank you for listening. You send the podcast an email at btmpod at gmail.com. Find the Michigan State Theater on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all the social medias. Um, again, thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Matt in the booth for helping us out. Thanks, Matt. And we'll uh, be back, like I said, in a month. Thank you for joining us behind the marquee.